0: I'll catch a No Uncle Sam's only man, packing katanas. I'll remain anonymous. Well, I'm leaving remains. That's the need to know. Hotshift, the no Network's Essence 20 podcast where every 2 weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Rock Stella, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system and an author on the JoJo, Transformers My Little Pony role playing games as well as others. Up to date, I have written over 300,000 words for the Essence 20 system. I'm casually going through the entire intro because once again I am alone. I'm not sure when Jason will be joining us next, and the original plan for this episode was to look at Decepticon Directive, a book that he developed, and that I had nothing to do with. So, without Jason, we definitely cannot do Decepticon Directive justice. So, I am gonna have another bantery episode. I know the last episode was a planned banter episode, where it was Jason and I talking about the media that we consumed in 2023, which frankly the episode was fun, but we did not do that topic justice because both of us just blanked on what media came out in 2023. Well, in any case, I figured that because the original idea of topics would rotate between Essence 20 specific, the Hasbro brands or whatever brands are tied to Essence 20, and then just stuff between me and Jason. It's been a while since we've had a brand one that's Essence 20 agnostic, and I have received just a Ton of GI Joe toys and stuff in the mail lately, so I figured I would go through some of the highlights of what my mailman's been bringing me. And I say my mailman's bringing bringing it to me because I I just do this poorly. I I have the option to pre-order absolutely every non store exclusive figure, pre-order it at a GameStop where I have a Platinum Edge membership, so I would get ten percent off of it. I have been to gamestop recently where a hundred dollar toy that i bought on big bad toy store which translates to like 130 canadian plus shipping and then i got hit with duty and we'll talk about that in a minute so this toy which will probably be the first thing that i talk about the uh, SoundWave thunder machine set and if that doesn't make any sense to you i'll explain it to you in a minute but anyway yeah so this toy probably ended up costing me 200 canadian when i could have got it for 110 if i had just pre-ordered it at gamestop or for whatever reason, I am stuck in my ways and I still mostly order through Big Bad Toy Store and occasionally Entertainment Earth. But I think I am finally going to stop that because I recently was at my GameStop near my work and the, the, the clerk offered me the next batch of pre-orders that they're making. And I said, no, nah, I prefer to buy things off the shelf because I do buy things at this GameStop. I just don't pre-order anything. And he explained to me, we don't order anything for the shelf. And I was like, I am literally buying a toy that I found on your shelf. I think that day it was Ripper. No, it was Buzzer. No, it was Ripper. I was right the first time. Um or was it? Oh no, I'm so confused. It was a dreadnought. It wasn't torch because he's not out yet. So anyway, I was buying this dreadnought that I found on the shelf next to a variety of other JoJo's on the shelf. And and frankly, the JoJo's seemed to fly off the shelf because other than one Roadblock and one Lady J that have been in there since they were released, you know, two years ago. And I think both of them are two years old at this point. Uh, both of them are kind of notorious shelf warmers. So one of each are still on the shelf. But otherwise, the only toys I ever see in the or Classified section at this GameStop and at most GameStops released within the last six months and usually don't last for long. So anyway, um, yeah, I told him, what do you mean? You only do pre-orders. I'm I buy stuff off your shelf all the time. Apparently, those are all pre-orders that got abandoned by customers, and it just happens that they just happen they they tend to get the full wave, or at least the figures that I'm looking for, abandoned by customers and on the shelf. So what I should be doing as someone who just, you know, wants the toys that I want is placing these pre-orders. And getting them all in one batch, since I'm going to be spending the money anyway, so spreading it out really doesn't change much. But there's still the the thrill of the hunt part of me that wants to be able to find them on the shelf. I I have no excuse for going with Big Bad Toy Store instead of GameStop. That's just illogical. I am paying a ton for shipping. And as the Canadian dollar is still not doing great compared to the American dollar, it's just adding that much more cost to these toys. I should just be getting them at GameStop. So, you know what? Let's call this a G.I. Joe collecting New Year's resolution. In 2024, I'm going to start pre-ordering off GameStop instead of ordering anything off Big Bad Toy Store. So, some of the toys that I picked up at GameStop recently, it's all of the latest wave of uh, G.I. Joe classified figures. So, that wave includes two dreadnoughts, Buzzer and Ripper. If you don't remember, Buzzer's the blonde one. He's the one that went to Oxford was studying dreadnought or sorry was studying the baker the australian biker phenomenon and then in um, not infiltrated but like joined the dreadnoughts to study them and then joined the dreadnoughts because he loved this you know freewheeling lifestyle that he was denied as a, just a, a preppy rich kid from england so that's buzzer always found him the most interesting of the dreadnoughts even though often the dreadnoughts are just presented as this trio of interchangeable guys who are only noticeable by their hairstyle weapons and color of their shirt and even then not not even that much when it comes to guys like monkey wrench and torch so yeah so i got buzzer i got ripper ripper is the he's probably the most uh, generic of the dreadnoughts he's from tasmania they call him the tasmanian devil and he comes with the jaws of life and a rifle with a really wicked bayonet and the Cartoon had him using the bayonet as his trademark weapon because all the dreadnoughts have a trademark trademark weapon, and I'm pretty sure his was intended to be the jaws of life, but that's just not how the cartoon uh, portrayed him. I don't know why. So anyway, I picked both of them up. Uh, my plan is to get those three uh of the dreadnoughts again. I I collect about seventy five percent of classified. I don't collect the whole series. So most of the time I'm going to be picking stuff up, but every now and then I will pass on it. Like I would pass on a monkey wrench. I have no interest in monkey wrench, but there's a few other dreadnoughts that are coming out. Xandar is coming out. Xandar I've always been amused by anyone that's read the field guide to action and adventure. He is Zartan and Zorana's other brother. And his almost supernatural superpower is that he is the master of anonymity. He doesn't need to disguise himself like Zartan and Zarana do. He just leaves a place and people immediately forget all the details about him. He just becomes this non guy, despite the fact that he has bright orange hair, a pink bandana, no shirt, lightning bolts and red marks on his face that are either tattoos or war paint. Like, for this characterization to be applied to that character makes no sense to me, but that's just how he was described on his file card, how he was portrayed in the comic. In the cartoon, he was just... I don't know, like a higher-ranking Dreadnought. I don't think there was a single scene with Xandar where you didn't also have Zartan and Zorana. Like, Zorana got solo stuff. Zartan got a whole season of solo stuff before they introduced Zorana Zart- uh, and Zandar. But Zandar never got his solo episode of the animated series. Probably one of the only characters. He only has one line in the Giojo animated series. This uh, Sorry, in the Giojo animated movie, despite that movie being... Very dreadnought heavy, like a surprising amount of dreadnought content is in the Jaja animated movie. And Zandar's only line is, You know us, when the when Cobra is addressed familiar, familiarly by Cobra Law. Um, so yeah, I plan on picking up Zandar. they have announced. Torch, I'm definitely getting Torch. I find it strange that they released two out of three of those core dreadnoks in a single wave. You'd figure they would either spread them all out or get them all out together. So they originally when they were released, those three came out together and Zartan went from being a solo act to being part of this gang all in one shot. Similar to how Tomax and Zaymod had the Crimson Guard, although that was an army builder, whereas the dreadnoks were always individual characters. Uh, other dreadnoks coming out, I believe Road Pig has been announced... Azrana is already out. Zartan is already out. So I've got them all together on a shelf. And I'm trying to think. Oh, Nagahide! nagahide has been announced. Nagahide is a Dreadnought poacher. He was one of the last original Dreadnoughts to come out. And he overachieved like you wouldn't believe. He had this awesome machete that clipped onto his wrist at a time when they really weren't doing that kind of thing. He has an amazing dart gun, sniper rifle. It's really cool. Uh, He has one of the better hats that's removable. He's got a lot of character to his head sculpt. He comes with an animal. Uh, Oh, he had a sheath on his leg, which again, like a working sheath. You can put his toy knife into the toy, you know, into the the, the knife receiver, uh, which uh, I think he might be the only one with a molded on sheath from the original line. Anyway, what should have been uh, just another Dreadnought, in the same way that I don't like Monkey Wrench because his only thing is that he's just another Dreadnought, Nagahide ended up being a really interesting, at least an interesting action figure. As far as a character goes, uh, once again, he was depicted as gross and stupid, and he was a poacher that was really just ruthless. That the other poachers chased him out of the black market hunting gang game because he was that bad. Um, yeah, so it, if they do anything close to matching how interesting his original action figure was, I would get a classified Hide. And then as far as other dreadnoughts that could be added to the classified line, there was Burnout, who was added in the new sculpt era, who then got a 25th anniversary, um, figure, um, Burnout's weird because despite his name being Burnout, the first action figure did not include any kind of blowtorch. His second action figure, or the the new sculpt one, because I think he had two different colors of his first release. And I have books within arm's uh, reach if I wanted to look all this stuff up, but I'm just going on memory. Yeah, so um, Burnout... Burnout would be a good addition mostly because he's a black guy, and so he's one of the few named black Cobra characters that they could revisit and the only black Dreadnought. So just, just to, uh, one, give a kid who likes the idea of the Dreadnoughts and might wanna see a black character represented, give them that, and to to do away with any, uh, well, not any, but like the suggestion that the Dreadnoughts might be racist because they don't have any black members or any non-white members, having nog in there would help. Uh, another Dreadnought is Zanzibar. Zanzibar is the pirate Dreadnought. It was kind of cool. He was one of those figures that came with a a small vehicle so that it's not, you're not buying it for the vehicle and getting a figure. You're more buying it for the combination. Like, so Serpentor came with the air chariot. If you were buying Serpentor, you were probably buying it for Serpentor and the air chariot was the add on. Uh, Zartan was very much like that. Zartan came with the chameleon swamp skier. And that, was no big deal as far as vehicles go, but Zartan was presented as a big deal. So the Swamp Skier, the Chameleon, was almost just an excuse for Hasbro to charge more to make you buy Zartan. Or, you know, for a return on investment for the commercials and having him as a major part in all the media. Um, I know I've drifted from the stuff that I've gotten, but I might as well follow this through to the end. A uh, couple of more Dreadnoughts. You've got Zanya, who is Zartan's daughter, and she is interesting in a couple of ways. First of all, she came from the Devil's Due reboot. So G.I. Joe had that uh, 12-year run with Marvel Comics from 1982 to 1994. It spanned the entire length of the original toy line. Toy line got retired. G.I. Joe toy lines would then come back for a couple years here and there. Uh, but it had been about five years before since we had gotten a new comic book. And at the time, there was no um, 80s... Properties as comic books. This was just not a thing anymore. They, they were a thing when they were adapted originally, when those toy lines came out, and this was a promotional tool to sell those toys. But the idea of just making a new GI Joe comic book just because people wanted to read GI Joe comics instead of it being a promotional tie-in thing, like it being a licensed property that could be so used to sell media on its own, was a new concept, and GI Joe really ushered it in when they when uh, Devils Do got the rights. And they decided that they would continue the G.I. Joe Marvel continuity. And they would keep the time span, which I believe, I think it came out in 2001. So we're looking at, um, yeah, we're looking at a seven-year gap. So they just said everyone was seven years older. This was enough time to say that Zartan discovered he had this illegitimate child he didn't know about. She joined the dreadnoughts as a teenager. And uh, they did something similar with Destro. Destro had uh, like uh, a son in his twenties who had actually replaced him in that first storyline. I don't particularly care for uh, this guy, Alexander McCullen, uh, Destro's son. Uh, yeah, he he never struck me as nearly as interesting as Zanya. But there was just something about Zanya. There was Zartan's always been interesting because he has this familial like he he's tight with his family. He's tight with his brother and his sister. And he treats the dreadnoks like family. Like the dreadnoks have have betrayed Cobra and then, you know, gotten good with them again because they are competent mercenaries. But I don't think... Uh, I can only think of one storyline ever where a dreadnok turned on the rest of the dreadnoks, and it was actually Xandar. Going back to him, the the funny thing about Xandar is the self-fulfilling prophecy that this guy that everyone forgets was the character that was legitimately forgotten. He is one of the just most overlooked characters from the original line that got cartoon appearances that got car- uh, comic book appearances and is a named individual character. And yet people just don't care about Xandar, which is what, <laughs> which is why you should care about Xandar because he is the guy that nobody cares about. Um, yeah. So there was, I believe it was still with devil's Do at the time. There was this, um, the coil, the so Serpenter came back and he had some, some agents working for him. Oh, was it... I, I'm mixing up a couple of things, that I'm not even fully fleshing out. All you need to know is that Xandar left the Dreadnoughts to work for Serpentor in this storyline and then got in a fight with, uh, with Zartan. Zartan only realized who it was after he stabbed him, and then there was this ambiguity about whether Zandar was dead or not because as Zartan was carrying him away to get treated zandar saying like uh suggesting he's still alive but then in the letter pages or online interviews they clarified that no zandar died which is never good when your storytelling needs editorial commentary elsewhere to explain what had happened but anyway um anyway yeah i i would like to see zanya get her own action figure um other uh, dreadnoughts i just i'm so close to covering them all, so I might as well go for it. In Devil's Do and in various other incarnations, the Dreadnocks often get a couple of name checked members, and one of them was Heart Wrencher. And I liked that she just carried a giant wrench. So instead of like a sophisticated, customized chainsaw with diamond tipped blade like Buzzer has, nope, she just has a tank wrench that she uses as a club, and she was established as the Dreadnought Engineer. Oh, Thunder. Uh, Thunder. Uh, no, not Thunder. Uh, Thrasher. The the guy who comes with the Thunder Machine. Thrasher's another guy that I could take or leave. It's been suggested that we might be getting a classified Thunder Machine as the next HasLab project. And I'll be talking about a HasLab project soon. Um, Yeah, Thrasher. I didn't care for Thrasher because he got the characterization on the cartoon that the file card gave to Buzzer. He came in and he was like, I'm the smart dreadnought. I speak with a bit of an accent, with like a British accent instead of all you, you know, Australian hooligans. And that really only is how he's characterized in the first couple of appearances. After that, again, he's just kind of uh, one of the ones in the crowd. He's all right. Uh, I I think I mentioned Roadpig, but I didn't go into great detail. Roadpig I loved because he is massive. He is easily the biggest of the Figures from the original line, and he's mostly chest. His accessories are really cool, although years later when I saw Mad Max, uh, the the second, like so I think the first movie's called Road Warrior, second one's called Mad Max. So when I saw that and I realized, oh, Road Pig is 99% the villain of Mad Max. They just gave him pants instead of chaps and a thong. Um, That made me, it made Road Pig seem a little less special, but it also fit right in with the, the Dreadnought aesthetic. And I guess one last shout out to Machete, who was a dreadnought that was added to Sigma six. He never had a figure, but he was on the animated series because the animated, the, the, I loved the Sigma six figure line, but I was frustrated with character selection, especially because we got about 20 storm shadows and very little anyone else in Cobra. Like we only got two Destros, three Cobra commanders But legitimately, we may have gotten 20 Storm Shadows. They just kept putting out Storm Shadows. And we never even got, like, a Cobra Viper. Instead, we got a um, Lieutenant Stone with Cobra Trooper disguise. And so people had to army build Lieutenant Stone if they wanted a Cobra army, which I did. I've got, I don't know, a half dozen. Oh, and i just looking over my shoulder. I see that my Zartan has fallen down. No, actually, it was Destro that fell down and nearly knocked Zartan off the shelf. So I'm going to have to fix that after. So on the animated series machete replaced torch because at the time all right this is my speculation it could have just been because fire requires additional safety and sigma six had a younger audience so maybe they just uh, avoided fire in general but i know also at the time that hasbro had located the old molds for buzzer and ripper and so they were able to release new versions of those characters but they could not find torch which meant that of the original trio, we were only getting two out of three. So I s- speculate that that might have also been the, one of the reasons why they got rid of Torch. So that if they ever went back to using those old molds for the Sigma-6 characters, maybe they would bring in somebody for Machete. Uh, machete does not fit the Dreadnought mold, which kind of makes it more interesting. he uh, like got a black crew cut. Uh, he kind of looks like a, a dark-haired duke, honestly. And if I remember right, he either had a trench coat or just like a jacket and he looked modern compared to all the other dreadnocks, who were clearly like the 80s punk aesthetic, whereas this was the early 2000s, and he looked more like what a dreadnock would look like if they were made in the early 2000s. And that kind of makes him stand out. I, We don't have the right to use Machete because he was a Sigma-6 exclusive character, but that's a shame because he would fill a nice niche if, uh, if we were allowed to use him. And actually, in the... Game I ran to get some people familiar with the Essence 20 system, Machete was the first mini boss that I put them up against. I think I have gone through the entire roster of named dreadnoughts of any significance, which is not at all what I planned to do with this episode. Wow, well, I'm 20 minutes into this episode, and I have barely touched on the topic that I went to. So, um I recently got the Soundwave Dreadnought Thunder Machine. So Soundwave is in the detect the, the the Decepticon Hasbro's been releasing finally over the last couple of years, GI Joe Transformers crossover toys that are actual recognizable characters. Like we've gotten a couple of homage characters. We've gotten a uh, a character, a Decepticon named Viper, who looks like the Rattler. Like he's not just an A10 bomber, but he's blue and he even has Cobra-esque logos on his uh, wings. But first of all, he was tiny. Like, he was the size of the original Bumblebee. And second of all, he was nothing, like, he was a Rattler that was made into a new character, whereas, oh, and there was zero chance that he could be, that a Joe could ride him. Uh, Likewise, there was Snowcat, who was a Decepticon that looked, I don't know why it's always Decepticons, but he looked just like the Snowcat. And then there were some San Diego Comic-Con exclusives, sets where it was a G.I. Joe vehicle painted to look like a Transformers alt mode, but they didn't transform. So we got a Sky Striker as Starscream, we got a Sky Striker as Jetfire or Skyfire. I forget what, uh, which name is the one that applies to the toy. I think it was Jetfire. We got a Vamp as Hound and we got a Rattler as Power Glide, but again, they they were not they didn't convert into robots, they were just the Jedger vehicles. But finally, recently, we've been getting. GI Joe scale vehicles, at least three and three quarter inch scale, so the the 80s and 90s classic line, that convert into recognizable characters. So we got a His Tank that turns into Megatron. We got an All that turns into Bumblebee. Both of them were the subject of Cobra Confusion, that free RPG day module that uh, we released, that Renegade released last year that I wrote. And so now they've released the third one with two more that are either announced or heavily rumored to be on their way. And this is my favorite of the three so far. So I really like his tank Megatron and I get the complaints about Ostrug Bumblebee. He's fine, but a lot of people look at him and say green military vehicle should have been Hound or um, a a dune buggy specifically should have been, uh, what's his name? Uh, Not cliff jumper. He was the hippie. He was blue. His name is escaping me right now. I'm sorry. Thank you for those people that are yelling it at your iPads, <laughs> your iPads or whatever you're listening to this uh, podcast on. I can't hear you, but I appreciate it. Oh, it's bugging me. I was hoping it would just come to me while I was rambling. In any case, right now we've got this Thunder Machine sound wave, which really makes as much sense as All Striker Bumblebee, but man, does it work first of all we haven't had a thunder machine since a street fighter 2 repaint of it and really this is the first time we've seen the thunder machine since the vintage line like it's in it's mostly vintage colors it is more like the blues a boulder blue the red's a boulder red. it's more red than burgundy like the original one was but that's fine it's clearly recognizable for its colors and even though it doesn't make any sense that Soundwave would turn into this because like Soundwave's alt modes have been a problem since cassette tapes were no longer, uh, you know, uh, modern media. But for all of his alt modes, even when he turns into a car, he doesn't turn into a a Mad Max strapped together uh, tank cruiser. It's weird, but it looks great and I am really happy with it. The one probably the best thing about these, or at least maybe not so much Bumblebee, but Megatron and Soundwave, their faces are some of the best faces for capturing what those characters look like on the animated series. So my Thunder Machine, um, Thunder Machine Soundwave, I I absolutely love it. And these vehicles have been coming with uh, recreations of vintage figures. The uh his Megatron came with a Baroness and. I don't know what happened, but Baroness's face was messed up. They, um, they painted the inside of her glasses, but the rest of her face was molded in plastic. And so it just looks wrong, which is disappointing. But also Baroness was one of those vintage figures that they had the mold for. And so we got a lot of Baronesses during that repaint era. I probably have eight unique Baroness figures, and I don't even have all of them that they released. So anyway, it it was disappointing that I had to get an ugly Baroness, but she just went in the bin and I've got other Baronesses to use. And then Bumblebee came with a version one stalker and I've never actually had a version one stalker. So even though the 1982 figures, like within a couple of years, the sculpting on G.I. Joe developed and so it was more sophisticated, it was more detailed. And that was more my era, so I tend to look at those 1982 figures as, like, uh, interesting relics of history, but not my J.I. Joe. Whereas the Stalker, I think they managed to capture what that character was, and he still fits in with the other Joes. So anyway, this Thunder Machine comes with Zorana and Zartan, and it's clearly based on the original's molds. The Zarana they did some interesting things because the original figure had shoulder pads just like Zartan, but the original concept art did not. And that was a change that was made along the way. So this one more reflects the, con- uh, the, the concept art in that she has her bare shoulders. And she's okay. They have never made a three and three quarter inches around it with a good head sculpt. There were two head sculpts originally. And the less common one is the one that I think is slightly better. But both of them don't quite look right. They're a little bigger and the details are just strange. Like they... They had an idea for that punk rock haircut and they could never quite capture it in plastic. And so then uh, they released uh, Zorana in uh, well, in the early 2000s, I believe in a comic pack. And the face looks more realistic, but she looks so bored. And it's, it's disappointing because they, they got the details right, but the expression wrong. So I've got that on my Python Patrol shelf actually. And uh I I wish I could like I wish I liked that figure more. So anyway, this new Zarana, again, the head sculpt is not great, but it's an homage to a vintage one, so I guess that's fine. But the Zarktan is the best of those figures that we've gotten so far, because it is clearly based on the original one. But the original one was just like black and browns as far as his, his color scheme, but in the cartoon he had a lot of blue highlights. Not just when he was reacting to the sun. That was no. When he reacted to the sun, he would turn red, or his blue parts would turn red. Um, and sometimes when he got angry. But and then in the comics and in a lot of promotional art, Zartan had either silver or white details. And so this one has that silver um, chest armor, and it just looks so good. It it looks. This is it, it. Feels like that vintage Zartan that we never got, jumping off the page. So I love that. And it also comes with a Ravage that is blue for, I'm not sure why, probably just a comics thing. And uh, Soundwave does have the working chess cassette thing, cassette holder, so you can put Ravage in there. Which is right now where I've got him displayed, although I probably will pop him out because he also comes with a chain. This is a Ravage that we've gotten before, I believe. Came with uh, Baroness in one of those sets that I was talking about, the San Diego Comic-Con. So, yeah, um... This Soundwave Thunder Machine, super excited about that, but it's not the only G.I. Joe vehicle I've gotten and it is not the one I'm most excited about, although it is close considering the price differences, that is surprising. But the other G.I. Joe vehicle that I got was a classified scale tank. This was something that was crowdfunded last year by Hasbro and their HasLab crowdfunding program. And this would be the second G.I. Joe HasLab. The first one was for a Sky Striker which I backed at like the last minute. Cause I kind of got like caught up in the excitement that the, like the Rancor hadn't funded and something else hadn't funded, I think around the same time, or maybe it was just the Rancor. And then suddenly the Sky Striker funded. So it was like in, it was um, validating as a GI Joe fan that there was demand for this high end product. And so I got into it and it ended up being a $300 Sky Striker, which is a vehicle I would have only paid a hundred dollars for. And so It's good. It's got a bunch of action figures, but they have the same problems as the... Like, kind of like the Baroness. The faces aren't quite right. The paint applications aren't quite right. I'm not crazy about any of the figures that came with the Sky Striker. Except for maybe the Cobra Commander. No, even him. Uh, I've got several Cobra Commanders of that style. It's it's the version one look with a little bit more cartoon detailing. but we also just got one in a two-pack with a Duke that is absolutely atrocious. As bad as that Baroness is, this Duke is worse. But the, they come with a bunch of accessories, so that was okay. But anyway, yeah. Um, Despite feeling burned by the first HasLab GI Joe project that I backed, this His Tank had so much promise that I decided to throw in the ring again. Now, by the time the Dragonfly was up this year, a dragon, uh, classified-scale Dragonfly, as cool as it looked, uh, I did not have my His Tank yet, and I could not throw... At that point, a thousand dollars at Hasbro Has Labs when the only evidence I had was that I didn't like their first turnover. But no, I now have the His Tank. I opened it with my older daughter who had never seen anything like it, and she was just wowed by the features. And we were assembling it, and she was looking over the figures, who are for the most part I like them a lot. It comes with a His Tank driver, uh, a His Tank gunner, which is the His Tank driver but a, a female character, a female buck. And then a repaint of the driver mold called the his tactician that I don't really care for. I, I find him just too much black and not interesting enough. Not nearly as interesting as the his tank driver. Also, it's always bugged me that his tank driver does not have a name. Like the reason the motor viper is the vehicle driving, the land vehicle driving viper that made it into the core rulebook is because that's actually a name. Whereas the his tank driver feels like a job description, but not. Any kind of code name, and that always disappointed me, even though it is a pretty cool look. And they, yeah, they knocked it out of the park. It, it uh, the vintage one is kind of flimsy, it came out right before the buck started getting a little bigger. But this one fits right in with the other classified figures, it looks amazing. So, yeah, I like the figures that come with it. The his tank itself is massive and feels right, it looks right. The light up feature, which I thought was excessive ends up being tons of fun especially the spotlight in the front and also when you open the back because now instead of just being a gunning compartment in the back and then like a platform or battle platform that you can stand figures on there's actually an opening door with a weapon rack inside oh it really feels like somebody loved the his tank and did everything they could to bring the best possible version of it to the classified line so again, like I have spent a lot of money on GI Joes in my life and this is one of the most expensive pieces I've ever purchased and I am happy with it. Very happy with it, in fact. So it immediately went up on a shelf. Like that was one of the things I told myself. I could not make these three or like $500 purchases when uh, you convert it into Canadian or, you know, one ticket to Disney World if you convert it into other things I could have done with that money. Um... But yeah, like I cannot buy these expensive toys and then not put them on the shelf. So I've uh, done a lot of work on my office making sure that things are set up properly. The Hiss is now set up next to a Cobra Parade procession, which used to be a shelf that was dedicated to Transformers. Those Transformers have moved in almost the exact same setup over to the top of a bookshelf. And that space used to be reserved for some Luchador masks. Honestly, wasn't using that space really well. So this is a better setup, and yeah, the his tank is in a position of honor, and I am very happy with it. Uh, uh, going through some of the classified figures that are not Dreadnoughts that I picked up recently, I picked up Helix and General Hawk from the recent wave. Uh, that General Hawk is one of those figures that, super basic, totally nails it, though. It's similar to Shipwreck. Shipwreck was a figure that I was looking forward to getting because I like Shipwreck, and from the pictures, he looked good. So I was happy to have him on my shelf. Plus, uh, I think I've complained about this before. Uh, A lot of the early classified figures that I got were very green. And so that classified shelf was looking very green, except for you had the bright blue scarlet and uh, snake eyes in black. So having a different color, like one of the reasons I got barbecue, whereas I probably would have been on the fence about him was that he added a different color to that shelf and it just made the shelf look better. And so, Shipwreck, again, I probably didn't need convincing to get Shipwreck, just by virtue of my feelings about the character. But these added to me wanting to get him. But I was still just expecting a pretty straightforward character. But something about, like, the way the butterfly shoulders work, and just, I don't know, the way the figure moves really was satisfying, and it really captured... A lot more range of motion and a lot more personality than I was expecting. And Shipwreck's a character that I like for my person, for his personality, so I'm really glad that he ended up really cool. And General Hawk is very similar. Again, he's just a guy in green camo pants and a brown bomber jacket with, like, a pretty cool helmet. And he works. He moves well. He looks good. He's got a great head sculpt that really has a, the authority that you want the General Hawk to have. And... I am so happy to have him as, like, a definitive leader of my classified shelf. Uh, I passed on Duke, the original Duke that came out, uh, because I don't care about Duke. Duke's fine. Duke is an enigma in that if you do anything interesting with him, then you are betraying his character because Duke is just supposed to be a generic leader guy. But if you don't do anything interesting with him, then you've just got a generic leader guy, whereas general hawk has more gravitas to him and i'm probably overthinking it these are just toys designed for children young and old Uh, but anyway yeah so i passed on the first duke i got tiger force duke and he's over on my tiger force shelf which is separate from my other classified shelf and i i had stalker and i had flint who could serve as a leader type but not like the guy in charge of everything and that's what general hawk is and i'm so glad to have him and i had recently picked up The Steel Corps, which is the updated Steel Brigade. They lost the rights to the name Steel Brigade. And those came with jump jetpacks, which I love. And I gave one of them to General Hawk because my favorite General Hawk, or maybe not my favorite, but I appreciate that one of the General Hawks was in a flight suit with a jetpack. Like it just added to how you can use this character. He can lead in the battlefield or he can strap on a jetpack and go flying and like take out a Cobra Rattler in the sky. Uh, I, I love that he's, like, become this dual-function character. Whereas when uh, Sigma-6 Duke got a jetpack, I was like, hey, stay in your lane. That's General Hawk's thing. So anyway, the idea of making a jetpack General Hawk using the jump pack, uh, which is how he was portrayed uh, in the opening scene of the G.I. animated movie. And most people, most Joes at some point, had a jump pack on in the animated series. So it is, like, for a toy line that is not... The jump pack military, there was a whole lot of jump pack military, uh, scenes in that show. And so, you know, left an impression. And so with a jump pack, that is a cool, like fire stream effects, uh, accessory. Uh, yeah, I've got him just popping up right in the middle of the shelf in the middle of everybody looking awesome. Uh, just looking over my shelf. Oh yeah. And then Helix was the other figure that I picked up and man. Love it. So Helix is a character with an interesting trajectory as far as becoming relevant because as I understand it, she was an exclusive character created by Double Helix, the video game developer who made the Rise of Cobra video game. So she is very much niche. Like every time a new company gets a G.I. license, they will often try and throw in their own original character instead of just adapting characters from the Vintage line. Like they'll usually get away with one. The animated series did this with, like, a character like Sparks and stuff. Uh, Larry Hama did it with, like, Quinn. Anyway. So, Helix was made for this video game adaptation of a movie. A movie that is not well-liked. The video game was not well-received, which I think is an injustice. I have had a lot of fun playing that game. And she's, like, a character you get in the middle of the game. She's not in the movie. You know very little about her. But she's there. And she had a pretty cool look. And she got an action figure. And this was a time when you didn't know if your action figure was going to get all new parts or if they were going to be a complete repaint. She was an action figure that got all new parts. She's grays with a yellow accent, and that is a color scheme that really pops, and it is not a color scheme that many other Joes had. Like, there's a few yellow Joes, but all of them had green accents, which really makes them quite bright. This is, I'm thinking, Airtight and Backstop and... Uh, there's at least one more. Oh, um, Lightfoot. Like for whatever reason, if a character had a yellow accent, they also got green. Whereas she is yellow and gray, and it's just mostly gray, but she doesn't feel like just a gray monochromatic figure because she has a little bit of yellow that pops. Uh and the comics developed her character in an interesting way. Again, she got a one-shot comic. So yeah, I don't, I don't know how Double Helix pulled this off or maybe just the characters named after Double Helix or maybe it was just a coincidence that the video game was developed by a company called Double Helix and this character named Helix debuted in their video game. All I know is that she got a one-shot comic explaining her uh, total battlefield awareness, I believe they call it. And originally it was written as like uh, an autistic savant type of superpower, but not like a Xandar level of supernatural. Like it really just felt within the realm of possibility. And this was also the era where they were still doing file cards with action figures. So it also exploded a little bit on her file card. In any case, she was an original character that got just enough development that she really caught on. She was well-written, well thought out. And then as Larry Hama continued writing the extension of his original continuity, she became a, a key part of the team. So he he had a massive team. Like, Sometimes when G.I. gets rebooted, it's reduced to a small team. With the Larry Hammer comics recently, it has felt like there is still this roster of 300 characters. You never know when a, when a character is going to show up. But he still had his core characters that you would see regularly. Helix was a solid B-lister in that you constantly saw her. She didn't get a whole lot more development. She was just a regularly occurring character on the team. But in any case, so now... Even though she didn't come out during Giorgio's heyday, she has had these influential positions multiple times in Joe's post-heyday life. That now that she's got a classified figure, she's one of the few uh, characters from her era that has an action figure. In fact, I think she's the only one so far. Yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna say that she's the only one so far. Although we've, I think a couple of other ones have been announced. Oh no, uh, Shadow Tracker came out. I I do not have those Walmart exclusive toys, and that bugs me. And I hope to get some of them. But Walmart got some of the coolest classified figures exclusive to their store, and they are not sharing with my region of Canada, uh, which is Montreal, which is often if one place in Canada gets excluded, it's Montreal. So, yeah, I got to figure out a way to get my hands on a shadow tracker and a shooter and a mole rat. I wouldn't say no to a red and black alley viper. Anyway, carrying on. Um... helix this classified figure is exactly like her uh her four inch uh, one that came out in the 2000s except they gave her these things called mantis blades and if you picture a praying mantis they've got these scythe-like talons as the front arms kind of like a reverse t-rex where the longest limb are their arms so she has them as these blades that clip on to her wrists and they are articulated so you can set them at like uh an attack mode where they're sprung out or a little folded in, a little bit Wolverine-like, but it gives her full access to her hands, so you can have her with two pistols and also having these swords available, or she can have four swords looking like a, a General Grievous. It really adds to her silhouette. They are fun to play with. I am so glad that this character is really like getting new life and really classified as the most exposure Jejo's had other than the movie itself. Like The movie line didn't do great, but the movie itself was the most exposure since the 80s. Yeah, Classified is the uh, third renaissance of G.I. Joe, basically. Maybe even the first full renaissance. And for Helix to be, again, a prominent character fairly early on. Like, she came out in the same wave as General Hawk. And General Hawk was the man, if you read the comics, and an important character if you just know it from the cartoon. And if you know it from the original action figure line, he got several action figures. So, yeah. So, for her to come out at the same time as they're still putting out these key characters, it shows... That Hasbro is invested in this character, and I'm glad they are, because they they again the commitment to this character turned into a really exciting action figure. I I feel like I am forgetting one other thing that I picked up recently, but I do know that I've got one of the last things that I was like, I really regret missing this, and that was the trouble bubble with the televiper. I've got both of them coming. And I'm excited about that. Televiper is just one of those functional members of Cobra that it feels wrong not to have one in my ranks. I don't need to army build it, but having one means that if I want to have somebody at a computer station on a display or pointing their camera at Cobra Commander while he gives a speech, it feels better to have a a Televiper that can do that. And I love the Trouble Bubble. I have dozens of Trouble Bubbles in my collection. It is one of my favorite vintage vehicles. It's up there with the Cobra Hiss Tank, in my opinion, as far as iconic... Uh, vehicles from the G.I. Joe line that, you know, they they are not realistic military, but they really work. And there was something about the, like, slight military gray, but otherwise, like, just just white little flight, uh, white flight pod that can swoop in, get Cobra where they need to be, and again, I like the jump, so the jump and the t- trouble bubble really pair off nicely, especially in that uh, opening to the G.I. Joe animated movie. Trouble bubbles are all over that scene. And it's funny because the trouble was pretty redundant because I'm pretty sure it came out after. Yeah, I'm positive. It came out after the Cobra Claw, which was a jetpack, which served the same function of a single character vehicle that could get, take to the air. And just the fact that I put both of them into the G.I. Joe core rulebook, despite both serving very similar functions, uh, it just shows that I do think they are both fully iconic to Cobra and worthy of uh, of inclusion in the core rulebook. Like, neither one could wait for an expansion. Anyway, I've excitedly rambled on about G.I. Joe for 45 minutes, uh, and I'm happy with that. If people come here because I'm enthusiastic about G.I. Joe, then there we go. This is the kind of stuff that I hope you enjoy. It is not rich with Essence 20 content. It was just a couple of anecdotes here and there. But uh, I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. Oh no, no, now I remember the thing I'm forgetting. It wasn't a classified figure. Hold on. All right, I got a massive coffee table book called The Art of G.I. Joe Omnibus Hardcover. It's by R. Carson uh, Metaxas, who is the admin at 3D Joes, which I constantly use uh, to reference for the, the role playing game. So even though I've got books and i've got physical representations of a lot of the action figures that are archived there it is such a detailed archive with their like spinning like the 360 view of every figure uh i i love that website it is a great reference for artists when we're doing now that i've been writing art uh, orders for gi joe uh role books i often will go to 3d joe's just because i know having that 3d view will give artists any angle on the characters that they need so uh year ago maybe two years ago he put up a kickstarter for it's called the art of gi joe but it was really a gi joe history book and so even though this is another couple hundred dollars that i've been spending on gi joe in the last few years one i was more interested in supporting the site than i was in actually getting this book but now that i've got it they did a beautiful job recreating so much of the vintage art like It's not just the card art, which is all, like, hand-painted and stuff. Like, the the original action figure cards are works of art. Like, they are literal works of art. Somebody painted one of the, uh, like, painted up these pieces, which were then digitized and put onto the action figures. And just the consistency throughout a 12-year line of what the art of G.I. Joe looks like, that is captured here. But it also has, like, any promotional material, any of those um, mail-aways that were included in, um, like, they were included in action figures and vehicles, and they told mini-stories. Like, those were the G.I. Joe media that you forget you also grew up on because, like, they played such an important role. They You could just flip through them and just be excited about various points of history it's not just like promoting the current thing like you know the cartoon was doing it's promoting multiple different points across gi joe's history of whatever stuff from the archive they're selling yeah we've got some pre-production art now i've been collecting the creating gi joe line from uh dan uh killingsmith who is also the person uh coincidentally who was hooking me up with that trouble bubble and i do love those books and those have been great reference material for the JoJo RPG, especially when I'm doing a deep dive like Ferocious Fighters. This captures that same feel, but it's presented differently. Like it is presented so lovingly. And uh, it's just fun to flip through, like, just page after page of carded action figures and action figure file cards. Uh, it, it is gorgeous. I don't believe there's any way of getting book now if you didn't get the Kickstarter so really this is more of a brag than a plug but um, oh yeah I mentioned the that I would get back to some of the issues with shipping so when this was kickstarted I paid the $30 that I was told would cover the international shipping in that time shipping has gotten fairly outrageous and so I got an email saying I needed to pay another $50 for it to be shipped and I'm like I already paid for the shipping of this and Then, when it arrived, they charged, I I was charged duty, which, like, when you get international shipments, sometimes they apply tax based on the value uh, perceived by people that don't really know the value of these things. They just kind of take a shot at it. So I had to pay another $20 when it arrived at the door. So I basically paid shipping on this three times, which added uh, about 50% to the original cost. And at first, I was worried that that would be. The legacy of this product that every time i would look over at it and be like there's that interesting book that cost me way more in shipping than it should have but luckily that is not the case first of all the weight will be one of the lasting legacies of it and the the joy it's it is lovely to flip through the art it, it makes me nostalgia nostalgic in a way that i haven't been for like obviously i've been nostalgic for jojo all my life it makes me nostalgic in a new specific flavor of nostalgia because um this is stuff that i have referenced on yojo and on 3d joes but not to this extent and not so tangibly like to have this stuff in my hand is just giving me memories that i uh, did not remember and plus it's a lot of it is gorgeous art so being able to appreciate it on this like High-res, high-gloss printing that this book's put out. Carson really outdid himself. And I hope he is uh, proud of this product because it really delivered. Now as I grunt and put it back up on the top of my shelf in a spot that does not display it very well. But it is too big to fit on any of my other shelves. So I'm going to have to come up with a new way of displaying that thing. I also would not put it on a glass shelf because I don't trust glass to hold its weight. Anyway, thank you for joining me for another episode of Essen, uh, of Essence, of Upshift. Where was I? All right, let me start the outro again. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Upshift on the no direction network if you would like to find more great gaming podcasts or great uh, gaming blog content you can go to no direction podcast.com if you'd like to support the network and what we do you can go to patreon.com slash no direction and uh, you can follow us on social media all the usual places you can find me on the no direction discord or the Renegade game studios discord and until next time i'm rax oh and thank you to word Burglar for the use of letter from snake guys part four so until next time i'm Costello. Ra- this venomous and this phanomous collective spreading across the globe this bio trope i'll be in roll. a couple weeks for the next episode a drum, break, break, break. <laughs> before i new and gained a whole lot more to lose accept the fear don't let it scare you when you move with the wind no one can hear you face your friend one day the next it takes lives assume the worst for now stay guys commando what, 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 what,